Good evening, folks. Thanks for joining us on Vintage McCoy. Tonight we're playing sardines. We actually have four guys in the studio. They've got me in a tight shot because, uh, well, yeah, I, they wanted to just try to make it like it was just me. But you're going to see in a minute there's a lot of us here. Uh, and then you also notice, too, I don't have a forehead. I have a five head. Really large. But anyways, listen, all joking aside, this is going to be, without exception, the most remarkable broadcast that we have participated in because we, tonight we're going to focus on the most critical issue facing the church in America. If this is not understood and addressed, we're all in for it. And tonight we've got an amazing guest, Dr. James Lindsay, the author of Cynical Theories, and his dear friend Michael Fallon, who is a remarkable brother in the Lord. you got to stay tuned. And in addition, the first time I think in a while that uh, I've had the chance to share the studio with my co-pastor, Rick Brown, came in all the way from San Jose just to be a part of it, and I'm so thankful. So tune in, stay buckled up, and it's time for liftoff. Let's check it out. of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But because of the Watergate matter, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One small step for man. be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of the sing. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, uphold any foe to ensure the survival and the success of liberty. It is indeed we are the defenders of freedom. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. We hold these truths be self-evident that all men are created one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Those who forget the past are destined to repeat. And now, your host, Pastor Rob McCoy. Thanks for joining us tonight, folks. Uh, as you can see, we got a full studio. To my left is Dr. James Lindsay, the author of Cynical Theories. To my right is Michael Fallon, who is Sovereign Nations. Uh, it, it's a wonderful organization. You put on the event when I was back in Key Biscayne, Florida, and you and your family uh, put on these resplendent events. And uh, you guys are friends, and you also are part of an organization. You'll be able to discuss that uh, in our broadcast. And then also to my far right here is uh, co-pastor of God Speak, Rick Brown. Pastor Rick, I'm glad you made it in. I knew you had to take a couple of puddle jumpers and fly and get here, but yeah. you didn't want to miss this. I did not want to miss this. You and I talked about it. Yeah, it I, I, I want to set it up because it, right there on the table is Dr. Lindsay's book, and mm. you were the first to read it because yeah. the two of us were struggling over critical theory, yeah. critical race theory, CRT. Mm. We're trying to understand it. You read this, you do a live stream on Vintage McCoy, and I was moved by it, and I realized, man, I am behind the eight ball. I catch a red eye. I, you actually may have given me your book or someone else did, and I read it all the way over and then read it again on the way back. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and then took copious notes from your insights. Mm -hmm. And I, I so wanted to have Dr. Lindsay with us, and I had the privilege to meet him uh, through Charlie Kirk when he was interviewing him. Yes. And, and then you were here with us on Sunday, and you had a, a, just an amazing blessing for all the congregation as you define critical theory. And then, Michael, the same. The two of you guys were like, you know, nitro and glycerin. It was, it was profound. I, and seriously, I think it's a, it, it is the shot heard around the world. Mm. But I want to add to those of you who are viewing with us that you're an agnostic. Yeah, that's right. And, and a lifelong liberal. I mean, you voted Democrat in every election. Not the last one. I, I know that. <laughs> With the exception of that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> Up until last year, yeah. And, and you're, you're a Christian. That's correct. You're Reformed. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, not Arminian or Reformed. I'm Biblicist. You're Reformed. Our, our theology is a little different, but all three of us, four of us, I already knew that with us, but mm. just all four of us are unified in this one principle that if we don't get liberty right, mm. we're all going to be studying our differences in prison. That's correct. That's right. And, and you've, you two have been used to articulate this most nefarious, systemic, miserable uh, virus that has infected every vestige of our culture here in the United States and across the world. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Lindsay, you, you have clarified that in your book. You also are a remarkable historian in that you footnote how this all came about through postmodernism, etc. But on Sunday, you more elaborated on another aspect, historically speaking. And tonight I want to cover that. I want Rick to bring in some of the notes he had in his previous live stream so that we have the author here to articulate and elaborate. But would you begin maybe by uh, just sharing with folks how, how this inspired you? What, what brought this about that you would get together with Helen and put this book together? Well, a lot of people will know that before the book was written, we embarked, Helen and I, along with another colleague named Peter Bogosian, embarked on a project to expose academia. This is so good. Folks, you got to hear this. This is remarkable. <laughs> I love this. So, so we embarked on a project to expose academia, and in particular the fields like gender studies and critical race theory, and show that what they were doing was not scholarship, it's sophistry. So we said... Yeah, you got to explain sophistry. I was about exactly. to. We started to... We set out to, to show that what they were doing was writing papers where they started with their conclusion, or at least the papers could be written and accepted by starting with a preposterous conclusion with an activist bent to it, and then working your way there through the literature. So you're bending the literature to do some preordained bidding. Yeah. And that, that's not scholarship. No. Scholarship is, let's follow the truth wherever it leads, not let's figure out what the truth is and make things support that. It gets it backwards. So we wanted to expose that. So we set out and wrote 20 of these academic articles in And by the months. way, on this live stream, you can be candid. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we, okay, so we, yeah, we're not in church. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we, did, we still have decorum, but I'm just saying that it's, it's usually an older audience, so it's all good. Got you. Uh, so... Yeah, so we wrote 20 of these papers. Typically, 20 papers might be an academic career. We wrote them in 10 months. Right. And seven of them, by the time the Wall Street Journal caught us and told on us, uh, seven of them had been accepted. One had won an award for excellence in scholarship. <laughs> the paper was about determining how people feel about rape culture by watching dogs have sex with each other. And the, uh, Just dog use parks. the word copulate and everything works out okay. You keep saying that and I keep not remembering that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm actually maybe Dog copulation. We call them dog humping incidents in the paper. Yeah, okay, good. So, <laughs> Did you really? Yes. It was that's. Yeah. yeah, we also acknowledged that we were Sophomore. humans and not a dog in the paper. We said, because you have to acknowledge your perspective, right? So we said, <laughs> we as are. humans and not a dog, <laughs> we don't actually know when a dog humping incident qualifies as dog rape. 
but we can make some guesses and we won't try to try to guess too much. And so we, what, we, what we said was they can teach you something about how humans think about rape culture. Mm-hmm. And then we concluded, and this is what we started with, was that we should train men the way that we train dogs in order to combat mm-hmm. rape culture, to get people to mm-hmm. n- not support <laughs> rape, which is nobody supports rape. And so this is a preposterous paper. And they said, well, this is an excellent example of what scholarship in this field should look like. And lots of our papers re- received accolades like that. We had another paper that's called An Extra Excellent Contribution to Knowledge, which is a funny sentence. Another paper that was was, was said to be an important contribution to feminist philosophy. Uh, just one paper after another, just getting tons of positive reception. And like I said, seven were accepted. That's enough to get tenure in most academic departments. And this was just in you know, a few months that we were able to churn through this to expose that what's going on there is not legitimate scholarship. But, since to actually answer your question, while we were doing the reading to be able to write those papers, in particular we stumbled across this idea in the critical theory of education called the pedagogy of discomfort. And that was the moment when we realized we were dealing with something really bad, really evil. Because this is this idea that you have to make the student uncomfortable to educate them. And this is, of course, a perversion of an idea, that it is uncomfortable to encounter new ideas. But you have to put them into discomfort to challenge privilege in, in specific, is what the pedagogy of discomfort is about. And we heard that, actually, during those riots last year. We heard Democratic politicians like AOC saying that it's supposed to be uncomfortable to have social change. You have to lean into the discomfort. We heard people say things like that. But when we read that, we realized we're, we have a big problem here. And so Helen had already been tossing around the idea of writing a book about postmodernism and its relevance to this movement. And so she and I teamed up and just went full in to try to tell the story as articulately as possible how postmodernism influenced this line of thought. Now, how did, uh, Michael, how did the two of you guys get connected? Well, quite honestly, uh, I was just listening. I mean, you got a, mm-hmm. a reformed evangelical Christian yeah. and a self professing agnostic liberal, and you got a conservative. Mm. And neither the two shall meet. I mean, how did this happen? We're not supposed to. Yeah. You know, but but for years, I've been trying to bring people together that have opposing viewpoints and so forth and have them discuss, debate in a scholastic manner. So for me, that's not really that unusual. But what was happening was that for many years, going back to really about 2014, 2015, I've been trying to warn men in the church that what was coming, this parasitic ideology you know, there's a mixture of postmodernism, critical theory, you know, every bad idea of the last 250 years kind of in one goulash, if you will. Uh, someone has called it the pomoid cluster. I think that that... The what? what? Pomoid cluster. I think it pomoid. defines it mm. defines it well. And that, Shaped that was, like postmodernism. Yes. You know, it's basically, I think that James has put it, that it's, it's, um, it's, it's basically postmodernism in a, in a very shiny, beautiful cargo jet, you know, a brand new 787, and then within it is the critical theories and the other things that are actually packed. And so I've been trying to tell people... Like a Trojan horse kind of thing? Do you like a Trojan horse? There you go. <laughs> and, so, and so really what happened is that, you know, I've been trying to warn the church about this for many years. A lot of men, I think just because of cognitive dissonance, they, um, they just didn't believe, they didn't think that men that I was saying, look, it's going to come through these folks. It's going to be in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's going to be in the PCA. It's going to come in through Moody Bible Institute. It's actually, I'm seeing it at Dallas Theological Seminary. Biola. Biola, absolutely. Wheaton College. Yeah, and there's a lot of, th- Wheaton College for sure. That Nazar- was kind of the episode. Point Loma Nazarene. Right, exactly. And it's actually then as well coming in through every major religion. Through Roman Catholicism, it's coming in through Buddhism, it's coming in through Islam and so forth. The same thing. And so a lot of folks just didn't believe me. 
And it took up until about, if you remember, there was the MLK 50 event that happened with Russell Moore, Matt Chandler, several other pastors getting together. And it was just a mess of, of critical theory and, and postmodernism thrown in together. Um, and so men started to say, okay, there's something going on. But I think a lot of them were just saying, well, let's just call it cultural Marxism. Let's not try to blame anybody. And I'm like, look, you really need to understand what's going on. I was in, a, uh, I was in Ireland listening to lectures on YouTube as I was getting ready uh, to, to leave and to do some other things. And one lecture uh, had finished, I think, with Jordan Peterson, and then all of a sudden it was James Lindsay. And it was James Lindsay with Helen Pluckrose and Peter Boghossian talking about, is intersectionality a new religion? Mm. Mm. And, and I was listening to this as I was getting ready. It's like, he's got it. He's got it. He's absolutely right. No, oh, he really has it down. And uh, I listened to that lecture, I think, 60, 70 times in the next month as wow. I was in, in Europe. And uh, then tried to contact the three of them. And eventually, we all got together. And, and really, with James and I there, I think that I look at James as really being one of the... I trust James so much because he cares about truth. Yeah, he does. And, and he's not going to give in because he doesn't believe something or because he's not convinced yet, but it's a political thing to do. He's going to only take positions because he absolutely believes them to be true. I, uh, that's a good segue, and I'm going to have Rick jump in in a second to kind of take it in a direction that he did such a great job on the live stream with. But before we do that, I, I wanted to point out the thing that uh, causes all four of us to have unity is, granted, you're an agnostic, uh, we're evangelical Christians, we're biblicists, you're Reformed, uh, but we're all Protestant. Um, and then, yeah, I know you don't like the term biblicist, but just deal no, with I that. love it. It's, yeah, it's, I, I am too. Yeah, anyway, yeah. we'll, yeah, we'll make like, that later. Yes, yeah, it's not <laughs> like you dismiss the scripture. <laughs> no, no, I just not the brother. topic right. for this gentleman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is an insulting term because I know you love the word. Oh, absolutely. And you define everything by that. <laughs> I, I cannot subscribe to uh, limited atonement. Let's just leave it at that. How's Particular that? redemption, perfect yeah. redemption. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Another podcast, gentlemen. Another podcast. Another podcast. But, 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 but coming to my point that what unifies us is the fact that we believe in absolute truth. Now, for us, Amen. that absolute truth has a name, Jesus. For you, um, you still believe in absolute truth and the pursuit of it. And one of the reasons you were raised Catholic, but you were, like you were sharing the story on Sunday, you drove your mother crazy because with the brain God gave you, you, you keep asking why, 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 and it's driving her crazy. Uh, tell that story, uh, yeah. but, but but all of this is you you entered into academia mm. because you want to pursue an understanding, and you know truth is is knowable, and you, right. you you seek to understand that, and you you humble yourself before. That's right. I mean, the story. I was two years old, so my mom tells me. I don't remember this story, but I was doing the why 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 game as many two year olds do, and I think I took it to you know an eleven of eleven out of ten in intensity of why why why. My mom finally has enough of this and says, "I swear to God, if you." Ask me why one more time. I'm going to slap you upside the head. And it was the 80s. And I said, mm. how come? <laughs> <laughs> Redefined. <Yeah. laughs> and so it was, it's, it's a very on-brand story for me. But no, I want to dig. I want to keep asking the question. I want to find out. And I did. I went into physics first, and I studied physics, and then I switched to mathematics, which is, of course, eminently logical, very structured. You even took a course in epidemiology, didn't you? It was a subunit within a, a broader class of uh, mathematical ecology and biology, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So well-versed in all of this, and, and now you're contending, 
as all four of us are in agreement, especially as the two of us have come to understand in a greater capacity, this is probably, I know, this is the most critical issue facing the United States of America. Yes. And as you pointed out, Michael, whether you're Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, Protestant, Catholic, agnostic, atheist, this is, this is designed as a virus to infect and destroy, and, mm-hmm. and even by their own admission, you can cover that, a cancer that will kill the host itself. Can you elaborate and go through the the crazy German, you know, philosophers and walk us through it and then Rick take over? Okay. Yeah. Um so it depends on how far back you want to go as far as crazy uh, German look, philosophers. Because we've got French no ones in the yeah, so French and Italian talk. philosophers too that are problems. Yeah. But uh we And the Italian is supposed to be uh Albanian, Albanian Italian. Italian. That's Italian, a, Antonio yeah. Gramsci. That yeah, the, the Italians, Italians don't, don't want, want yeah, they don't credit for him. <laughs> They're like, no. no. He was I mean it's a weird sentence to say, really, but he was probably the most brilliant Marxist right. thinker of the past hundred and some odd years, and just maybe ever. Just this, is, this is like a 200-year spear, and we're at the tip. That's right. A okay. critical race theory is the tip of a 100-year-long spear with another 100 years of uh, muscle behind it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that muscle takes us back to a bad German named Hegel, mm-hmm. G.W.F. Hegel, who was obsessed with this idea of the dialectic. And he called this a, a central object of his speculative philosophy. He had lots of ideas about it. But within, within the dialectic, the idea is that you have some idea, a thesis, and you meet it up with its opposite, called an antithesis. And you collide those ideas, and you try to figure out a synthesis, a synthetic mm-hmm. new idea that encompasses both without losing their essence, but that's neither one of them. But it's supposed to be above them. And I know it's complicated, but the word Aufheben in German means to lift up, to keep, and to abolish all at the same time, which Hegel... Literally, he wrote explicitly that he finds this to be an absolutely wonderful speculative word. It's like mystic. It is mystic. He, in fact, says that speculative, uh, speculative philosophy means mystical okay. philosophy. So it is mystical. So, you know, it, he's got this very mystical, literally alchemical and hermetic view of things where we're going to take things in their opposites and combine them and get some new synthetic thing that's magically better out of that. And, and within philosophical contexts, you actually can use a dialectic to refine out some of your ideas and improve things. Socrates is very famous right. for that, of course. But when you're taking something in its opposite and trying to combine them, mm-hmm. you, you can't take one apple and, and half an apple and put them together, getting an apple and a half in, in the sense of keeping both. You get three quarters of an apple, so you get less than you started with, mm-hmm. right? You don't get more than you started with by trying to meet the middle. And so the, the synthesis that he, that he was mostly he had a lot of them, subjective and objective. He tried to bring those together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is it, uh, abstract and negative, and he bring that together to concrete. But one of the big ones that he focused on was beingness and nothingness. And how do you put being and nothing together and get something that captures both ideas at the same time? And that was becoming. Mm-hmm. So to become, you have to not be and then mm-hmm. later be. Mm-hmm. And so it captures the essence of both, right? Seriously, this is just like crazy. It's, it's a bit crazy. And, 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 and so in relation to an agnostic and, and a Christian, and we, we believe in, in, in absolute truth and knowable truth, uh, this goes after that and, and basically attempts to destroy it. And, and then the, the remains that exist are now this mystical form of what he would consider a deity. How does yeah. this deity come about? Yeah, so for Hegel, the, the deity was the idea, mm-hmm. the divine idea or the absolute idea. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that the absolute idea doesn't understand, the deity doesn't understand that it's perfect, doesn't understand that it's deity, until it manifests its other in the world. So you have this thing that is 
perfect and allegedly eternal and so on. And so it has to create, the immortal has to create the mortal to compare against. Again, these same opposites. And it gets to know itself, that process of becoming. Mm. The, the, uh, the deity slowly becomes more and more aware of its perfection by the creation working out the details, working out the contradictions more specifically uh, in all of the things that they think they understand. So there's an idea and they try to work out the, the contradictions in the idea. And then they have a refinement of the idea, and eventually over time, over a very long period of time, human beings will work out all the contradictions. So you can see how this becoming is inherently progressive. Yeah. Uh, they're going to work out all the contradictions of the idea. The idea is going to be all but perfect, short of realizing that it's perfect, and then it realizes that history ends and we enter into the utopia. And, and this utopia, uh, everyone's attempted it, and it just ends up in the ash heap of history. It almost sounds like an X-Men movie. Well, I mean, the reason, part of the reason for that is also he's a statist. Yeah. So he believed that this divine idea has to take mortal form, has to come into the world, and he said that the, the, that the state is the divine idea as it's expressed on earth. Right. You've you, you got to say that slowly so people hear it. This is page 23, right? <laughs> that's not page 23, that's a different book. Oh, it's a different yeah. book. Okay. <laughs> it's a different book. You, you, you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to state that again slowly so people can hear that. The that state th is the divine idea as it exists on earth. Basically, the state is God. The state is Jesus. Yeah. That's right. It's the savior. The state is, yeah, the it state is, is the, the savior. savior. Yeah. That's right. Or deity. Yeah. That's right. And so he also had a Trinitarian um, belief structure where the idea gives birth to the state, which is now expressed on earth, and the state gives birth to a culture, what he called a geist, mm -hmm. a spirit. Zeitgeist. Yeah, Zeitgeist is the spirit of the times. Mm -hmm. And this is all fitting into a picture of a Weltgeist, a world spirit. Uh, and eventually, that spirit, people understand the contradictions that arise within it, that informs the next set of ideas. So the ideas become center, by the way, he's an idealist, and the ideas create reality, and the way they do so is by bringing the state into being, and the state is, is given control, and that's going to design the culture, mm -hmm. and then we have this endless spiral until finally the eschaton immunitizes by having the idea become perfect. So then the state becomes perfect, and the culture becomes perfect, Utopia. and we're, yeah. Marx called that state communism, stage mm -hmm. six yeah. of his six-stage dialectical materialism. Mm -hmm. and, and part of this, uh, where, where these, these, these two forces collide, um, it, it, there's, there's a destructive nature to it. It is destructive. In fact, what they call it, it, uh, it was referred to by Kant before Hegel as critical philosophy. Hegel would have used the same kind of thinking. The neo-Marxists, the critical theorists, picked this up and they called it, sorry, Marx called it critical philosophy as well. The neo-Marxists started to call it directly critical theory mm -hmm. and then said that it operates off of negative thinking. Uh, negative thinking is this process that you look for, you have this abstract idea, this was the way Hegel constructed his, uh, his dialectic, and you hit it with its negative. So you're constantly hitting the thing with the contradiction or with the negative. You're deconstruct, always, deconstruct, 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 that's right. Deconstruct, mm -hmm. deconstruct. Exactly. this is the mantra to deconstruct, deconstruct disrupt, apart. dismantle, deconstruct, disrupt, Find dismantle. every loose thread until the entire garment mm -hmm. is unraveled. That's right, pull out the loose threads and watch the fabric of society come apart to make room for the liberated socialism on the other side of the revolution. And that's the state Herbert to move Marcuse. in, right, James? That's right. I mean, you, it all comes apart, and the only thing big enough is the idea of the savior, the state coming in. That's right. And exercising the socialism, which is going to take us to right. the next and it's, it's, it, Yeah, socialism is, is an administered <clears throat> state on the way. So you, capitalism gives mm -hmm. way to socialism. This is Marx now that we're talking about, who okay. was a young Hegelian, one of the progressive branches of Hegel's thought after he died. And he, he, he believed that 
that, that capitalism is going to give way to socialism on its way to communism. Mm -hmm. And communism is that perfected utopia, but it has to be administered first. So the people who have the critical consciousness, the class consciousness, the whatever consciousness, have to take over. And they yeah. become the state, that divine idea expressed mm -hmm. on earth. Yeah. They're going to administer it. And because they all have the right consciousness, now the ideas are going to work themselves out the right way until, boom, you realize the state no longer is necessary. Lenin even said that, that the state yeah. will eventually realize it doesn't even need to be there anymore. Because the, the, elites, the elites are going to rise. Right, that's the this thinking class that is right. technocracy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Technocracy. Uh, all right. All right. So so the, the, the state is God. The state is, is Jesus. Yeah, the state yeah. is Jesus. Now But yeah, I guess so yes. Yeah, with, with, he's got a trinity going yeah, on, I, so I you know, got a, I know, the Father. But, the spirit, yeah, don't let right? me step on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, he's one of the anyways. And the Geist is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Highly Geist, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Highly Geist. Yeah. But that brings me to you, Michael. Hmm. How in the world can a pastor embrace such nonsense that declares the state more sovereign than the Savior they profess and say that they submit to the tyranny for the sake of the gospel? Mm -hmm. how, how did we get here? I mean, I, I, I showed the clip last week of Brian Broderson mm -hmm. saying that we have to surrender our rights for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Although they're inalienable rights given by God, mm -hmm. and 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 He is implementing this critical theory, even though He may not think He subscribes to it, it is inundated mm -hmm. with every phrase imaginable that pertains to critical theory. How did he? He's 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 a guy who loves the Lord. Mm -hmm. He loves God's word. I I'm, I know he loved his father-in-law. Mm. How did that guy get there? How does a Tim Keller, I, I used to, you know, his books would touch me. He has a heart for the lost. Mm. I was moved by Tim Keller. Mm -hmm. Now I'm grieved mm -hmm. as, as my eyes are being opened to how does this infiltrate? Where, how did this happen? You, you're, you've been watching it. Well, in many ways, what, what has happened is that there, there has been this happening throughout corporatism. And, uh, and, and by the way, Gospel Coalition, but you worked with R.C. Sproul. <clears throat> yes. And, and he saw this coming. I think he saw elements of it. I'm okay. not sure that he saw exactly where it was going or what the actual plans were. Right. Um, you know, so I would would never attribute that that RC saw it and didn't say anything. It wasn't like that. But I I would say, and, and RC was one of the finest men of God and one of the greatest thinkers in the history of the church. So all kudos to him. He's passed now. But what you would do is you would look back and the by, by the way, I've been to Legionnaires. Yeah, I used to attend them, and so good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Still remaining. We're, we're growing on Calvary you. Chapel but, uh, so, <laughs> so, growing on you. <laughs> so you, you, look at, you look at the Gospel Coalition and you look at, at something really that is, is forming in, in around 2008, 2009. Uh, it's D.A. Carson and Tim Keller who, who found the, the Gospel Coalition. You look what, about, at it, what about Piper? Uh, John Piper is in there as well, but okay. those were the two founders for the most part. But you look at, at, a, at an organization which basically is the Hegelian dialectic. It gives thesis, antithesis, synthesis all the way. So there's always an article that kind of breaks ground or challenges the orthodoxy. And then they have to have a response to it that, well, you know, that's probably too far. We need to find a way to still talk together. And then there's a synthesis. So this has happened from that time of the founding mm -hmm. of the Gospel Coalition all the way through till, till now. And what you'll see is gradualistically, incrementally, there's always a bit more going towards the progressive side of things and getting away from what we would know as biblical exegetical orthodoxy. 
So you wouldn't just see this within, you know, within, uh, you know, just Reformed Christianity. You would see this in everything, as, as you're aware, even within Calvary Chapel. So you were asking, how is it that a pastor could get pulled into this? And quite honestly, and as it was introduced to me many years ago, first it was introduced to me from the geopolitical level, then as well from the corporate level, and then I had a meeting across from the Southern Baptist Convention where the same phrase was used, and it was, there's a change that's coming that there's nothing you can do about. There's hmm. nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, and so you have a choice, either coming on with us and basically the carrot. If you oppose us, well, it's not going to be good for you, you know, yeah. just to let you know. But there's nothing you can do to stop what's going to happen. We'll cancel you. Well, yeah, or, or that this is going to move in this direction. You can jump on board. You're going to see a transition. We're going to try to keep the gospel alive in this, but there are things that have to change around it. And you'll hear the same thing happening, uh, you know, whether it be in, in, in evangelicalism or within Catholicism. It's like, well, we're going to try to keep the core, but other things have to change around it. So you have men that are more, um, shall we say, Stalinistic, I don't want to use that term, but men that want to have the revolution now. Then you have other men that want to do it the gradual way, right. that want to, to do it step by step and two steps forward, one step back and so forth. So there is a little bit of competition of that. Then there are others that they didn't bother having the discussion with because they knew that they wouldn't move, that all of a sudden around 2018, 2019 started waking up to it. Yeah. But by that time, you had all of evangelicalism, um, as well as already the mainline denominations were already gone quite a while ago. They were all you know, disciples of Walter Rauschenbusch by that time. But you have everybody moving in this direction, and it is a political move disguised as a theological move. And that's the problem with this. And, but it's the reason that Dr. Lindsay can come along and go, oh, yeah, I've seen that, is because he has. It's the exact same move that's happening in other organizations all over the world. What was the line that you heard at one of the conventions that uh, was picked up? Um, you'd refer to it on Sunday. Um, and I think you said Russell Moore said it, or what was it? Well, what happened was that I was interviewing James. There was a video that we did, an interview, two years ago on a, on a New York rooftop. It's fairly well known. And James was explaining what's going to happen in your churches. And he says, eventually, you said... Yeah, eventually it's going to hit a point where somebody says something along the lines of, if there's not room for a person like this, meaning some identity category, then there's not room for any of us. And apparently that had been said recently or something that like that. It was this. said the month before by Russell Moore in reference to Beth Moore. Yeah. And so in basically saying that there is room in the leadership hierarchy for Beth Moore. Um, so they're trying to make move, a move to basically to transition the word complementarianism into egalitarianism while still keeping the same word and yeah. saying that we're really on, honoring it that, that way. So that might not be the challenge in Calvary Chapel. That might not be the challenge, let's say, in the PCA. But there are other challenges, and the same play is being played. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.